Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. On this episode, we have Brock Vandenberg. He's a real estate investor. He's a private lender. He's a hard money lender for Telemar Capital, financial rather, out of San Diego. I've met Brock many times at various meetings uh, within San Diego, and uh, he's a fantastic guy. He knows his stuff. He's been in this space for quite a while. Actually, and that's when he starts the episode, he, he, he jumps right into it, really, discussing how he got started doing mezzanine gap funding in the space and then working for the FDIC and then eventually starting Telemar Financial and then starting a mortgage fund. And so we go all into the weeds of that on the episode. We also discuss how it is for him working with flippers, working with multifamily investors, what some of the criteria they look for. And we even delve into how he's able to raise capital from accredited investors for his hard money lending for his mortgage fund. Cause that's essentially where he's at, right? At the beginning when he was trying to figure it out and he was struggling and doing it deal by deal and loan by loan, it was hard because he had to do it loan by loan in terms of raising that capital. But eventually once he started to fund, investors are able to invest right away and he's promising them a certain return. And that's what allows him to fund deals. So if you really want to learn a lot about private money lending, hard money lending, and even raising capital from a unique perspective. And see, that's one thing that I liked about this episode because everyone wants to know how to raise capital, but it's interesting when you hear from a person that is in an industry that, that's not as sexy, right? He's talking about, you know, the debt side of the house, the mortgage side of the house, but the way that he describes in the sense of what he is able to do for investors is, is still applicable to raising capital in the multifamily space, in the commercial real estate space. But when you're hearing it from a different perspective, it's different. So. Without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. I'm your host, Dre Evans, and I've got my co-hosts here. Well, they're not here, actually, Ike Eke and Chi Nguyen. But I want to thank everyone for tuning in for another great episode. If you're a first-time listener, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you're a returning listener, please leave us a five-star review. It's Thursday. It's been a hell of a week. But I got a great guest here today. I've seen him at multiple meetups around San Diego, SDCIA, as a San Diego Green, which is Andrew Greer's event. Phenomenal guy, hard money lender, Brock Vandenberg in the house. Brock, what's going on? How you doing today? Andre, you know, one everyone, thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, it's always such a pleasure to see you at the networking events. I probably see you at least three or four times a month. So uh, thanks for inviting me on as a guest, and I'm excited to uh, to talk to you today. Perfect. Now let's just jump right into it. Obviously, I know some things about you, but for our listeners, give us a story about how you got started in real estate. Why hard money? How did you build up Telemar? Let's let's talk about it. So I mean, yeah, it's an interesting story. I've actually been in real estate finance since about 2001. I worked for a, a private equity fund and we were doing what's called mezzanine debt or you know, what we call in this you know, industry kind of gap funding. So we were providing that, that gap funding for residential developers. Great opportunity up through about 2007, early eight, obviously the housing market collapsed. They decided uh, they wanted to go in another direction. So I spent two incredible years actually with the FDIC. Uh, they're the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and the ones that uh, actually uh, insure your deposits at the bank. And they've actually been on the news recently. So it's been kind of fun to see them engaged with what's going on with Silicon Valley banks, your bank and and some of the other banks. And then in about 2011 is when I started Talonwar Financial. I was lending money to people that were buying houses at the courthouse step. If you can remember that time, 
bank foreclosures were big at the time. So at that time, I was lending my own money out to these people to buy these properties, to renovate them, and then to sell them. And then fast forward into that 2001, we grew, we grew, we grew, and we launched our first mortgage fund um, in late 2020, 2021. And uh, that's where we are today. Awesome. So I got to ask is you don't have too many people that are in real estate and that aspire to do private lending or hard money lending. So what, where did that interest come from? Now, I know you had that background. You were doing the mezzanine <laughs> debt. As Brock mentioned, that's that gap, that other funding that you have when we talk about the capital stack. We won't go too in the weeks with that. We've discussed it before. But is that what it was? Because you already kind of had that background with mortgages and with debt. Is that where the mm-hmm. idea sparked? We said, okay, I want to. Yeah, Andre, that's, well, that's funny. No one's actually asked me that question before. What What is it about the finance side that that I like? I'm just a numbers guy, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, you're not, I mean, unfortunately, but I mean, I'm just not the guy that you're going to be going in and nailing something into a wall or doing a demo on a house. I mean, much people, there are people that do that much better than I can, but you know, I like looking at spreadsheets. I look at, like looking at numbers. I like valuing properties. I like you know, uh, looking stats on on loan, building up a loan portfolio. That's what I like, and so that that's kind of why my my focus is there. I do what I, and I just focus on what I like to do and been able to build a business around it. Love it. And, and you mentioned the banks, FDIC, FDIC. And, and I want to touch on that. So what's what's your take on everything that's going on? Banks being bailed out, interest rates. You know, you know, it's think? a good question, and it's more of a systemic problem across the banking industry and, and, but more focused on small and regional banks. And we all know what happened was uh, Silicon Valley bank, again, was kind of a, uh, an anomaly of a bank. They they had a lot of deposits from venture capital. They were heavily involved in crypto and it isn't the crypto per se that took them down, but they had so much deposit money. They got to put it somewhere. They got to make money on that deposit, that deposits they have. So they put them in what are called medium-term investments, mostly uh, uh, mortgage-backed securities, which is one of the safest investments you can make. It's not like the, the, the investment went bad. It's that, unfortunately, there was a run on the bank. The mortgage-backed securities that they invested in were no longer the value of what they bought them at. And in order to cover the deposits, they had to start selling off their, their investments in these mortgage-backed securities, which resulted in losses. Depositors saw that. They wanted to get their money out. So it would just became, you know, a cycle that they just couldn't get out of. So, you know, the, the FDIC was put in a difficult position, you know, specifically to that bank and had to come in and literally bail them out. But it's it, very different than 2008. It's not that the banks made bad investments per se. It's the way they invested. They didn't recognize that they were buying mortgage-backed securities whose returns weren't were below what the deposits they had to pay out were or what they had to pay out on deposits. So unfortunately now it's kind of grown bigger and um, escalated into some of the other uh, smaller regional banks that also, you know, may not have had as much liquidity as they needed on their balance sheet. And that's where we are today. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. You said that and, and even look at what's, what's going on now where shortly after that, they were trying to, you know, Ensure the uh, the other banks, and, and it's just a crazy. You have all these different opinions about what's going on in the market. Mm-hmm. The interest rates is constantly fluctuating. Um, some people saying we're in recession. Some people say we're not in recession. You know who knows? But 
Yeah. At the end of the day, I've said this many times on the show before, regardless, you're still going to do business and, and lend money. I'm still going to invest in, in real estate regardless, because that's what we do. That's the business. So but I, oh, no, you bring, up, I mean, you bring up a, such a good point because the volatility is what creates opportunity. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, going into uh, early 2022, when, you know, obviously values of real estate had shooting up here in San Diego shot up about 30% in three months. Yeah. I mean, you get lucky, right? Buying real estate, you just happen to get some of that uh, equity appreciation. But if markets like this, where people get nervous, some people exit the market, but people like you are looking for opportunities in the marketplace, no matter what the rates are. I mean, the, the rates are secondary. You're underwriting to the rate. That's something that you can underwrite to, but, but these are where the opportunities come up. And, you know, as a private lender, you know, as much as I don't like to see the banking industry in the capital markets being involved, you know, have this volatility, it's been very beneficial to the lending, hard money lending industry, guys like us, where it's opened up a much bigger market, a market that we fill in providing alternative financing to real estate investors. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And so walk me through. So you, you, you had Telemar. What's that been like? Educate our listeners yep. about hard money, mm-hmm. um, the lending process from your from your viewpoint. What's it like working with flippers? What's it like working with multifamily investors? Yeah. So let, let's kind of start. How does a hard money lender operate? How do we raise money? How do we lend this money out to, to investors to buy properties? So number one, I raise money from high net worth investors, family offices, foundations and whatnot. And what they do is they invest in our mortgage fund. So like just like a bank, they they deposit funds in our mortgage fund and then we lend that money out in short-term loans, usually 12 months or less. These type of loan, 50% of them are for investors that buy, renovate, and sell single family, multifamily, and do some of those commercials. That's your prototypical fix and flip loan or your rehab loan. The other 50% are just random bridge loans. People out there that uh, had, they were closing maybe on a small commercial building or an industrial site and the bank that they were using for the financing couldn't close. They couldn't, they couldn't close quick enough. And so they would come to the private lending industry to fill that short-term need. We call that a bridge loan, usually again, 12 months, 12 months or less. And so that is the niche that we fill. So when things are good, banks are lending, Obviously, there isn't as much opportunity for us out there, but times like this where there's volatility, I mean, we fill that niche for the for the real estate industry. And we our focused lending is on is with real estate investors. So we're not funding uh, consumer loan and people that are buying homes to to live in. Okay, and so what's it like also working with you know multifamily investors compared to the flippers? Yeah. You have, you know, what do you like better? Is it advantages? Is it disadvantages? Mm-hmm. What are the, what are your typical terms? And now again, I've, I've spoken to you many times before. Yep. I've been on your website before our listeners talk to them about that. Yeah. So, you know, we work with first time investors, sophisticated investors and everybody in between. And funding a single family house is just the same as funding a multifamily property. Kind of the process and the dynamics and the numbers are the same. So personally, for our mortgage fund, we'll typically find on a fix and flip loan, we'll be funding 80% of the purchase and 100% of renovation costs. So we've got a pretty aggressive financing option for real estate investors. And at the end of the day, 
the again, the structure is the same because what you're doing to the property, you're, you're buying a property that is depressed, that isn't in a condition that either someone wants to live in or value. You can unlock substantial amount of value. It's the same doing that on a single family and is it a multifamily. It's just the numbers are different. Okay. And so when we work with investors, we're plugging your numbers into our underwriting criteria. Uh, we have a pretty large credit box. So again, from new to experienced investors, and usually we can close these loans within about five to seven business days because we're a, because we're a direct lender. And you know, my experience, you know, I've been doing this again since about 2011, is that you want to first, if you're, if, if, my recommendation is if you're working with a lender for the first time, either if you're a new investor, experienced investor, is get an understanding of their uh, financing package or their loan programs early on, even before you have a loan request, because every hard money lender works a little differently. Where we have a mortgage fund that we're lending out of, that allows us so much more flexibility than maybe a lender that is packaging up all the loans and then selling them off. You know, they, they have to fall within the, the credit box or the credit criteria of those that are buying the loans. And then there's, there's the other hard money lender that might be representing directly high net worth individuals. So they may just act as an intermediary. You call them up. You say, Hey, I need a $500,000 hard money loan. They may have, you know, a couple investors that they know who fund that $500,000 loan. So when you're working with a hard money lender, you want to first understand what it is that they're lending on. What is their loan? What are their loan programs? Where are they getting their capital? That's a big question because, you know, again, if they're brokering the loan out to somebody else, which is fine, but understand that that process might not be as smooth as working with somebody who may have direct access to, to capital. All right. So we're going to move on to the second part of the show, the legacy round. So typically during this round, it's an open forum discussion. We can talk yep. about usually a favorite acquisition that the guests would say forever change the trajectory of their business. Yeah. Or it could be practical tips on how to grow a portfolio. Or the third option would be tips on how to grow their investor network. So in your case, you know, you have this mortgage fund, you're yeah. raising capital. So how do you go about, you know, raising capital for that fund? You you, you yeah. walk through the process of what, what's in it for them, the returns, right? Mm -hmm. But how do you go about building that investor network? So, yeah, you know, we, we had chatted that we raised money for our mortgage fund. When we first started lending, so I first, my first step, and I call this kind of the baby steps, is that I was lending my own money. I was kind of just getting a feel for how the industry worked, getting my network of people that were borrowing from me and just walking through the process. So, you know, these were small loans, very short term. At that time, you were in and out of loan for two months or three months. Then as I grew my balance sheet, uh, I went out to outside investors. So in outside investors, would lend directly on these loans. And I managed a loan portfolio of around, I got it up to about 60 million in which I was lending. So that was about 250 investors. And again, about 2020 was about the time I said, you know what, in order for me to scale this business, in order for me to raise more money, do more loans, I have to consolidate the investors into a mortgage fund. So I had communicating talk, sat and met with the investors, let them know that I'd be launching the mortgage fund. And instead of lending on a per loan basis, you're going to lend in the fund, essentially in the bank, and then that bank is going to lend it out. And that was the biggest change the company in the growth pattern. That is what took us from being a 
smaller lender doing, you know, two, three, four loans a month, giving us the capability of doing 15 to 20 loans a month. We were raising money much quicker. People liked kind of the ease, the passive investment approach. They could just put their money in the fund and let it, you know, let it uh, earn money. And, and then there were some significant tax advantages in investing in the mortgage funds. So all the distributions and the dividends that are paid out of the fund um, actually get a 20% tax deduction because it's structured as a real estate investment trust. So the, the advantages to the investor were, were much greater um, by investing in the fund than individual loans. And that, again, that's kind of what rocketed us into kind of the next stage of the life cycle of, of our company. And I'm assuming the investors in the fund are accredited. Uh, yes. So, so all the investors are accredited. And for those that are familiar with the term accredited, that simply means that you either have a net worth of $1 million or greater, exclusive of your primary residence, or you make over 200, I think it was what, 200,000 yeah, um, uh, personal funds. Or personally or, or jointly for the 300. Yep. Now 300 for, for the jointly. And then, but there's actually th- some additional things that you can overcome that. But yes, there it's. It's restricted, unfortunately, to uh, credit investors. Okay, nice. But on the flip side of that, people that have self-directed IRAs can invest in the fund. And there's some advantages, too, of investing through your self-directed IRA, which, by the way, you know, you talk about how do you raise money. Number one, the best way to raise money, if I were to answer anyone, is just educate people what you do. You're not selling them on your investment. You're not telling them, hey, this is the best investment. You know, because you don't know what their financial situation is at that moment. You're just educating the people. What is it that you do? Right? Why is it such a good investment right now? I can tell you it's the best investment for you, but why you know, the opportunity exists? And when we talk, when we spoke earlier about the banks and banks failing, I mean, and doesn't it doesn't need to sell itself anymore? I mean, we're lending money out. We've become pretty much one of the top hard money lenders here in San Diego, and so. And the returns we've been able to provide our investors have gone up because obviously rates have gone up that banks are charging. So that has just driven our rates up. All right. So we're going to move into the Gio Donald round. That's the last round of the show. That's pretty much the rapid fire round. As you know, this is the multifamily about a slice podcast and it's stemming from Chicago and deep dish pizza. Each slice is big. It's meaty. It leaves you with a mouthful. So this is going to be a series of questions. Similar to yeah. that, that are going to leave our, our listeners with a mouthful of knowledge. So the first one, okay. you're on the top of the highest mountain in the world. These are the last words you can scream out before you die. What would you scream out to the world and want them to remember you by? Buy cash-flowing assets, okay? You have to focus on buying cash-flowing assets. Volatility in the marketplace, you don't know where values of assets are one day or to the next, but if you're getting a check in the mail, Every single month, I guarantee you, you'll be a happy person. So break that down into three words. Buy cash-flowing assets. Nice. If there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? Life is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And I have to relearn that lesson all the time. Um, When I get new account executives here in the office or I talk to new investors that are looking to buy and invest in properties, I tell them it takes at least six months to really get your first project under your belt or get your first loan. That six months needs to be dedicated to increasing your network, educating yourself, you know, buying books, watching whatever videos, talking to 
people that are actually doing what you're looking to do. And when I talk, talk about talking to people doing it, physically doing, not talking about talking about doing it, but people that are actually in the industry and just successful. First six months, that's what you're focused. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about making money at that point. Don't worry about, you know, trying to close a deal your first six months. Once you hit that six months, that's when you're going to close your first deal. And I've been at this, you know, people ask, well, Brock, you know, why are you getting loans called in every single day? Well, it's because I've been at it literally for 15 years. Okay. And so, and I can, and I can look back and I'll tell you my first couple of years were tough. I mean, they're trying to find investors. Number one, Brock, why would I want to invest with you? You've never done this before. Then finding a borrower, right? I mean, I can't tell you, I was doing one loan a month and it was barely paying the bills, but you just keep at it. You keep at it. You keep gaining knowledge, gaining a you know background and getting people comfortable with what you do. And that's when it starts to pay dividends. So I would say, hey, not a sprint, a marathon, keep going at it. I know some days it's tough to get out of bed and want to do what, do it. But at the long run, understand what your goal is and keep thinking and keep focused on that goal. Awesome. All right, rapid fire, vocab. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms you think investors should know and why? Well, I'm going to say number one, cash flow. Cash flow. <laughs> All right. Uh, number two, exit strategy. Okay. I don't, exit you know, strategy. in the lending industry, I want to know how I'm getting paid back. Not to, not that just that I'm getting paid, but that I'm going to get paid back. That can completely apply to what it is when you're investing. Okay. Are you buying a single family house to rehab it and sell it? What is your exit strategy? Okay. How are you going to get to that exit strategy? Are you buying a multifamily property to rehab it and hold it long-term? Well, if that's your strategy, understand it. What's your exit? You're buying, you know, buying the property with maybe short-term fix and hold money. Okay. It's expensive, but you have to be able to take it out with more conventional, less expensive money. So understand what your exit is on that, uh, you know, on that investment. Um, and then, you know, what was the third? What would be a third main term is security, okay? So Warren Buffett said it, said it best, okay? Rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one, okay? So go into safe, secure investments. I talk to people, the lending industry is boring. I mean, it is boring. I don't go out and flipping houses. I don't get to make all these great videos of it, you know, before and after, you know, being out there with a hammer. I mean, I got a computer and, and a, you know, a calculator and that's what I work on. It's not, it's not sexy. So invest in secure investments that you know are confident that you are going to make money um, long-term. All right. Number four. Education is critical in this business. What books, apps, or mastermind groups would you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? Before I, all right. So first book I read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Changed, changed my life. I had a uh, sales job. I was up in the Bay Area. And uh, I really was not, not happy with kind of where my, the trajectory where I was going. I didn't know what I wanted to do other than I wanted to be in real estate. I, I just knew that. And so I, I somehow picked up that Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, and then changed my mindset of, of where I was going. I, again, I didn't know where I was going, but I, I knew I needed to get somewhere. And that was where I was going was not it. So, um, and then I um, read The uh, Millionaire Mindset and how people, you know, handle money and how they look at money. 
again, a game, a game changer for me. So those were like the two big books that I could write off the cuff. I can say that really kind of changed the trajectory of where my career was going. Awesome. Well, that's all our questions for the show. Again, Brock, I want to thank you for tuning in for the Multifamily by the Slice podcast and being a guest on our show. Thank you for all our listeners out there. I'm Dre Evans. Again, Ike and Chi are not able to make it today. They have other commitments in the real estate space. But again, we appreciate you all. We love you all. And we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Andre, thank you.